0: Participate in a possession live. Not a joke. Only serious inquiries. Must be available in the Portland area between May 12th and May 15th. Email redacted for more info. Below the ad, which I'd found on a slip of paper tucked between the napkin holder and the ketchup at the sandwich shop I ate at sometimes, someone had doodled in pencil. Or maybe it was better than just a doodle. I could clearly see what it was after all dragonfly. Three days later, I was walking to my car when I heard a woman scream at me from across the parking lot. Bastard! You fucking bastard! I turned and looked at her bewildered, my eyes going in every direction as I searched for some other explanation than a stranger yelling at me for some reason. But it was early on a Sunday and the lot was empty except for us. Besides, she was walking towards me fast, her eyes red-rimmed and teeth bared. And as strange as it was to think, I knew she wanted to kill me. I could see it like a dark cloud behind her eyes, thunderbolts of ill intent and violence darting this way and that in the back of her mind. I didn't want to hurt her, so instead I tried to decide if I could make it into the grocery store before she intercepted me or if I was better off just getting back in my car. Looking her way again made the decision easy. She was running at me now. I slammed my car door shut just a second before she banged against it. Her fingers splayed on either side of a face that might usually be friendly and pleasant, but now seemed hard and burning with a kind of hatred I'd never seen before. There were black lines on the palms of her hands, possibly writing, but she was moving too quickly for me to tell for sure. Eyes locking with mine, she curled her hands into fists as she snarled. "'Come out here, you little thief! Come out so I can rip it the fuck out of you!' "'I don't know what you're talking about, lady! You're... you're crazy!' I was already backing out of the parking spot, careful not to turn so fast that I hit her as I got the front of the car out enough to go forward and drive away. She chased me to the streets, but when I peeled out of the lodge, she seemed to give up, standing at the edge of the street flipping me off as I stared in my rear view. My heart was pounding, my hands were shaking.' I tried to tell myself that it was because of the strangeness of getting attacked, but that wasn't all of it. It had also been the last thing she'd screamed after me when I began driving away. It had also been the last thing she'd screamed after me when I began driving away. I'd been distracted and hadn't heard the whole thing, but one word had been clear enough. Dragonfly. But... You're telling me you didn't even take the ad with you, right? Or email the people? I rolled my eyes at Debbie, and when I replied, my voice was harsh and loud. (laughs) Of course not. I ate my sandwich and left. Why the hell would I want to email some weirdos or get involved in some scam? She raised her hands defensively. Okay, okay, just asking. Jesus. Sighing, I shook my head. (sighs) No. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm still freaked out. Patting my leg, she nodded. I get it, but I mean, it's just a weird coincidence, right? It has to be. I shrugged. I guess, but it didn't feel like that. You didn't see her. When I say I think she wanted to kill me, I'm not being melodramatic. She seemed full-on crazy. Frowning, I forced myself to say the thing I'd been thinking about since that morning when the woman jumped me. Maybe, and I know this sounds far-fetched, but maybe she's the one that left the ad at the sandwich place. She could have planted it, waited for someone to read it, and then followed me. I could see the skepticism in her eyes, but she thought it over a minute before answering. I mean... It's not impossible. I just don't see why. It's a lot of trouble to track you for days just to stage some kind of freakout. I nodded as I heard Debbie's phone buzz. Yeah, you're right. Of course, if she's crazy, it doesn't have to make sense, does it? I... I just love you so much, you know? I blinked and looked up at her in confusion. Uh, yeah, I know. I love you too, but what? She blushed and glanced back down at her phone. Wait, I... No, it doesn't have to make sense. And there's a lot of crazies out there these days. I stared at her. What was wrong with her? Was she just more freaked out than she was letting on? Leaning over, I gave her hand a squeeze. Don't worry about it. It's over now, and I'm okay. She gripped my hand and nodded, visible relief spreading across her face. I... I just love you so much, you know? That afternoon, I went to a movie by myself. I didn't care what it was. I just didn't want to be home with Debbie or around anyone. I felt raw and exposed, and the odd way she was acting wasn't helping. She seemed hurt that I didn't invite her along, but I reminded her she was supposed to be babysitting her little brother later in the afternoon anyway. That seemed to mollify her somewhat, and I promised to be home and cooking dinner by the time she got back from her mom's. Sitting in the cool darkness of the theater was soothing. As far as I could tell, I was the only one even there. It made me feel safe, hidden, in a way I couldn't quite explain. Everything just felt off to me, like I was moving through a funhouse where the walls and floors, the ceilings and doors were all skewed, just enough to be disorienting. It was probably just leftover trauma from dealing with the crazy woman, but you think you deserve it? You rotten little fuck. I jumped in my seat at the harsh whisper on my right. I turned to look for the source, but the screen went dark. As I did so, killing my sight, even as I heard the rough male voice again somewhere behind my seat. We spend our lives preparing for this, earning this, and you think you can just come and take it from us? Heart pounding, I stood up, my legs bumping against the backs of seats behind me. I started blindly scooting out toward the aisle. I had to get out of here, and I definitely didn't need to get trapped in one of their... Fuck this... Enough talk. Just get him. This voice was farther away and toward the front of the theater. It sounded older softer, but with a strength and resonance that cut through the black. Fumbling, I felt my next step take me clear of the last seat as I started trying to make my way to the dimly lit exit side at the top of the aisle. I... Just leave me alone. I I don't know what you're talking about. There was a rough laugh from right behind me, and then arms were wrapping around my waist, tugging me down as I tried to catch myself from falling and push away the hands clasping at my stomach and clawing at my chest. Above me, I heard a loud, plasticky squeal as... Oh, fuck. Is that duct tape? They were going to take me. Take me somewhere, and and, and what? Kill me? Worse? I didn't know, but... I knew if they got me, it would all be over. I had to get away, stop them, and I had to do it now. I felt strength flood through me at these fresh fears, and pushing hard against the carpet on the theater aisle, I managed to roll sideways and then over on top of the person holding onto me from behind. Immediately, someone was trying to grab my feet, even as a third reached for my shoulders. No, I had to get off the ground now or they'd have me. Shooting out my feet, shock went up my legs as I slammed into someone. They let out a whooshing grunt and were gone. But now, the one of on my shoulders was reaching for my arms, trying to pin me down. Twisting away, I reached up into the dark for where I thought their head would be. I found an ear with one hand and hair with the other, even as they cursed and tried to move away. But I was faster, digging my fingers into their cheeks and stabbing my thumbs into their eyes a blood-curdling squeal split the black above me and the hand seeking to trap my arms disappeared. The one behind me was already starting to loosen his grip when I sent an elbow into what I guessed was his ribs and slid free of his grasp. I crawled and then ran toward the exit now, torn between planning to yell for the girl behind the concession counter to call the cops and just running out and getting away. When I reached the lobby, I saw neither was an option. No one was out there, and the doors leading out had been chained. There's no getting away, boy. Spinning around, I saw a large man with brown stringy hair stalking toward me, a nasty smile on his face. Behind him, a woman was helping another man with blood streaming down his face out of the theater. When she looked up, I recognized her from the parking lot. I edged toward a lone standing brass post that would be used to hold line diving rope during the busy nights at the theater. Its surface was cold, but reassuring as I gripped the top of it in one hand. If there was another way out, it was probably through all of them. The man in the front took out at first what I thought was a pistol. You're coming with us one way or the other. I saw a blue arc of electricity jump between prongs as he held up a stun gun. Only question is how much you wanted to... His words were cut off as I swung the brass rope post at him base first, slamming it at the side of his head. My arm shook with the blow, but I didn't let it slow me down. Nothing could slow me down now, least all of them. Taking a step forward with the swing's momentum, I swung it back the other way, catching the bleeding eyes of a man in his right knee and crumpling it. He collapsed with a scream, his face a red mask of pain and anger as he rolled over onto its belly. The woman had seen that second swing coming and avoided it, pitching herself forward even as I straightened back up to meet her. I staggered back as she slammed into me, hands digging into my neck even as she tried to wrap her legs around me. Ignoring the pain, I struggled to keep my feet as I slid the brass post between us. She tightened her grip, thinking I was going to try and pry her off, but she was wrong. I just wanted something hard and unyielding at her front as I ran us against the metal counter of the concession stand. The first time it hit, all the air went out of her. I tried to keep the post at her chest, but it slipped and crushed her diaphragm as her back slammed against the counter. Her grip began to loosen immediately, but she was still holding on. Good. Sliding the post back up to her chest, I braced as best I could and rammed her lower back into the counter a second time. I felt more than heard a crack as her lower spine gave way, and when I stepped back, she slid bonelessly to the floor. Looking over, I saw the blinded man was trying to crawl away. No. There were going to be no exceptions. No escape. Walking over to him, I took my foot and rolled him over like an injured turtle. He held up his hands, fluttering them aimlessly as he began to cry, the tears mixing with the blood to send pink lines down into his ears and hair. No, don't. I'm sorry. I see now. I see. I brought the base of the post down onto his face. Into his face, until he stopped moving. It was only then, as his arms gave their final twitch, that I noticed something white peeking out from inside of his denim jacket. I was coming back to myself now, fear and panic and shock bleeding in past the shell of... What had I just done? How had I... It didn't matter. I needed to get away. Get away and call the cops, make sure they knew I was just defending myself and... But what was that paper? Bending down, I gingerly picked a spot of the jacket that wasn't bloody and lifted it up so I could see inside. There was a page of white paper taped inside there with duct tape, and on it, there were lines of words. You think you deserve it, you rotten little fuck. We spend our lives preparing for this, earning this, and you think you can just come and take it from us. No. Don't. I'm sorry. I see now. I see. Stumbling back, I tried to breathe as I turned back to the broken dead woman at my feet. I crouched and pattered her down for anything like what I'd seen in the other man's jacket. but There wasn't anything I could feel. Grimacing, I was about to start going through her pockets when I remembered her hands. Turning over her palms, I found a sea of black smudged ink, but amid the eligible sprawl, I could still pick out a few things. Fucking Bastard. Little come rip it out, King Dragonfly. You've changed, Timmy. I stared at her. It had been weeks since the night at the theater. I had to kill people twice since then, and I'd slowly figured out that the most of the interactions I had were... not real. Scripted, somehow. It made no sense, and I knew I should have just thought I'd gone crazy, but it never even seriously occurred to me. I was stronger and sharper than ever, and if I had to use that new strength to fight back the constantly creeping tide of fear surrounding me, so be it. It wouldn't drown me. They wouldn't get me. No matter who they were and what they meant to me. I just stared at her expressionless. How so? She widened her eyes at me. (laughs) What do you mean, how so? You tell me you've killed people? That people are constantly after you, but no cops ever come? Nothing's ever in the news about it? You tell me you're not cleaning up, right? Glancing out the window at the darkened street below, I shrugged. Right. I don't know what's happening to them. I guess the others are cleaning up after me to keep their secrets. I saw her scowl out of the corner of her eye. Right, because the whole world is out to get you. You understand that's paranoid, right? You need mental help, you need... She reached out and grabbed my arm lightly. Something isn't right with you. Your head, your heart. You're different. It's not just the crazy stuff you've been saying. It's you. You're not right anymore. When I turned to look back at her, I couldn't entirely hide the hatred on my face. Let me see your phone. Debbie blinked in surprise. What? Why? I held out my hand. Just... let me see it for a second. She pulled her hand back. Uh... No... I, Look, I I don't have time for this. Mom's got chemo again in the morning, and I have to get Jenkins, and... Tim, I'm pretty much his mother already, and when she dies, I really will be. I... Debbie wiped her eye and went on. I need your help with this. I need you. I love you more than... Just let me help you. Talk to me. Clenching my jaw, I gave her a cold smile. Give me your phone, and then we'll talk. Debbie stood up, shaking her head, even as she pulled her phone out and started looking at it. No, I'm not going to feed into your sickness. Her eyes flipped up to me and back down to the screen. But it's okay. I found out about someone that I think can help. I don't want to go to them. There was another way, but maybe there's not. She used her thumb to scroll on the screen. Maybe they're the only way to get you back. I snorted and looked back out the window. What a fucking joke this all was. It wasn't me that was wrong. It was the world. I'm going out, Timmy. I'll be a while, I think. I'm going to carry Jenkins by the park. I heard a soft sob when I didn't answer, and then she was gone. How do you feel? The room I was in was strangely familiar, though I wasn't sure why. It was large and panelled with dark woods on each of its eight sides, and the contrast with the light brown marble floor and sky-blue vaulted ceiling gave the space the impression of being in a tall silo or down a deep well. Eyes still bleary, I struggled to focus on the man standing above me. He had bright green eyes, framed in a gaunt, pale face surrounded by wisps of gray hair. As he knelt down beside me, his long red overcoat pulled around him, giving off the faint twin smells of smoke and copper. When he extended his hand, I took it. I feel... okay, I guess? Where am I? His eyes roved up to the walls around us. They call it a temple, but... They don't understand its purpose, so their names are meaningless. He looked back down to me. It's more of a... birthing chamber. A womb, if you will. I went to say I don't understand, but I found that wasn't entirely true. They tried to summon something here, didn't they? The man nodded. They did. Something old, powerful. They sought to gain an audience with it, to seek its favor, and offer it an anchor in this world. I raised an eyebrow. Did it work? A cold, thin smile broke across the harsh landscape of the man's face. In a way, they didn't truly understand what they were doing or what they were asking for, using words and rituals that had power, but not in the way they thought. His mouth twisted as though tasting something sour. They understood nothing, thought to bring you in as a witness, never understanding they were just meat to be used, and was never going to choose them. He swallowed. Because. because it chose me? The man's smile was warmer now. Oh, yes. It was always going to choose you. An idea came to me then. How long have I been here? Gripping my hand tighter, he pulled me to my feet. Part of you has just come back moments ago. Part of you has been here for a full moon cycle. He chuckled. (laughs) I know how that sounds, but it's true. Not that it matters, now that you're whole again. I nodded mouth dry. I I answered that ad, didn't I? He nodded absently as he checked his watch. And now I'm possessed? He cut his eyes back to me with a twisting smirk. Not in the way you mean. During this last month, you were divided, like you out in the world and a you in this shabby hatchery. He gestured around the opulent room. The part of you out there, its strangeness and hostility, is a natural part of things being reordered. Of the old world having to accept something new. Of having to prepare for your arrival. I frowned. But everyone... I kept having people that... They were reading lines, like they were playing parts or something. The man spread his hands out between us. Oh yes, the dragonfly is very clever. It subverted the world's resistance against it, twisted the greed and ignorance of those pretenders that use this place, moving and shifting them out in the greater world as part of the true grand ritual to make you and it one. Without their blood and your fear, it would have been a much longer process. I heard anger in my voice. What about Debbie? Are you saying she was part of them too? Because I'm pretty fucking sure she's been reading lines too. He chuckled. Hmm. No. Her part was special. She had to make the final sacrifice tonight. His eyes closed and fluttered briefly as though he was savoring a bite of something delicious. And she did it well. Sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? The man shrugged as he turned away. First, the boy. And then an hour later, herself. Tears stung my eyes as I followed him. No, you're lying. She wouldn't do that. She wasn't mixed up in any of this. She was... She was a good person. He snorted. Hmm. You're still waking up. You'll understand soon enough. I grabbed his arm and stopped him. Understand what? When he turned, I expected to see anger, but instead there was a species of fear in his eyes. This is all how it was always going to be. These ritualists bound themselves. Your friend Debbie, she received a copy of a very special play a few weeks ago. Even I, detached from invisible strings more than most, am playing a part. The role of midwife, ushering in a king from the shadowed sea. It's time to come round at last. My hand trembled as I gripped his arm tighter. What about me? Don't I have a say in any of this? Don't I have a choice? I felt my fingers close in thin air. I was outside now, just down the street from my house. Something landed on my shoulder, and when I looked over, I wasn't surprised to see it was a large blue dragonfly. Its words were cool as it whispered into my head. You're the only one that does have a choice. We choose each other long ago, and now, and in the future. We've always been and always will be in this world and others. And I'm so happy to have you forever and again. Smiling, I nodded to him. I, I'm happy too, I think. I just, is this wrong? Are we wrong? I wasn't sure if I was speaking aloud or not, but I also wasn't sure it mattered. I heard laughter like music when it spoke. We aren't wrong. It's this place, this world. It's weak and rotting and so it's very wrong. You can just see its corruption more clearly now. And as you remember more, you'll understand what we must do. What's that? We will eat this world alive. And then its place. We will give birth to something new, something strong and endearing and right. I didn't need to ask more. It, I, was right. I could see more of what they lay behind now, what lay ahead. And it was so beautiful, it hurt. Though it may be hard to imagine, you must understand that I, too, was once a little girl, sewn together out of lace and frills, and Barbie dolls with their hair cut in a mayhem with my safety scissors. I had an extraordinary fondness for tea parties. I wanted to grow up to be a ballerina. It is imperative that you know this that I was not always what I am today. I had all the markings of girlhood. I spent many days in what I guess was a happy enough childhood. I had dreams. I had nightmares. Most people grow out of their nightmares. Those of us who don't either succumb to them or become them. I cannot say that I'm sorry for becoming so many people's nightmare. The seeds... Of my future were sown when I was 11 years old. My mother cried. I could hear it from my room down the hall, even when she was trying to be quiet. Our walls were thin. She didn't cry as much when I was young, but the older I got, the more frequent her tears. The night when I heard the crying, I pattered on bare feet down the hall. I opened the wooden door just as I heard my father throw a bottle against the wall downstairs. The shattering noise was deafening as I peered inside. My mother sat at her vanity. It was a beautiful piece of furniture that her mother had handed down to her. I would inherit it too, one day. She stared into the mirror, tears streaming down her face and making tracks in the foundation she was layering onto her cheek. I could see a light blue blooming across her face. When the bruise developed fully, all the makeup in the world wouldn't hide it, but that didn't stop her from trying. She saw me peering at her and motioned me over. I walked close, a little afraid of the calm on her face so incongruous with her tears. She pulled me into her lap. She smoothed out my mess of brown hair and picked up her makeup blush. She held out her brush palette for me to choose the color. When I did, she began to apply it to the apples of my cheeks with a steady hand. I settled quietly in her lap, enjoying the soft sweep of the brush against my skin. I loved it when my mother let me play with makeup. As she put down the brush and chose a tube of lipstick, bright red, just the color I would have picked, she said, Rana, there are things a woman needs to know in this world. Today I'm going to tell you one of them. No matter how you think you can trick it, with makeup, new dresses, fancy jewelry, the mirror never lies. My eyes slid up to meet my mother's. She painted quite a picture, the bruise on her porcelain skin, the tears clumping in her eyelashes, her lip trembling from the strain of holding back her sobs. Yes, mother. The mirror never lies. Never once have I been able to forget that lesson. For a few months after that, I was very interested in mirrors. Whenever I was alone in the house, I'd run to my mother's vanity and stand in front of it, my pale face encircled in the gift frame as I cast my words like magic. Does Eddie from school have a crush on me? The mirror didn't answer. Is it really buried treasured in the backyard, like Uncle Rob said?" The mirror didn't answer. Why won't Mom and Dad stop fighting? The mirror didn't answer. Gradually, I stopped asking my questions, realizing that I'd only ever seen my own thin face staring back at me. Instead, I tried a different approach. I studied the face of the mirror, reading between the lines on my mouth and around my eyes. I looked for hints and secrets bubbling underneath the surface of my skin. Sometimes I found things. Sometimes I didn't. But I never stopped looking. I inherited the vanity. I am the only child, so there was no other sisters to fight with me about it And when my mother passed away well. No, she didn't. She didn't pass away. That doesn't seem like the right word for it. When someone wraps their tongue around the barrel of a gun and swallows lead, do they really pass away? No. I think that's just called dying. I think her death was worse because she had to be drunk to do it. You see, when someone takes their own life, If they do it sober, leave a note, start selling their possessions, then maybe, just maybe, you can trick yourself into believing that they were ready for it, then there were no second thoughts. My mother didn't want to die, but she had to. So she hit the booze, missed the spinal cord, and blew out her right cheek along with the right back portion of her skull. So I got the vanity which was just peachy, really, because I needed an answer, and the mirror is the only thing in this world that doesn't lie. When someone dies, the first thing people ask is how it happened. There's a hidden question under that. Why did it happen? The two are inextricably linked, you see. The police determined that she'd been long suffering from depression. That was their way. But it wasn't the right answer. I remembered my mother that night sitting in front of the mirror applying makeup to conceal a bruise that she couldn't hide (sighs) a futile endeavor my father is the why. he understands this I understand this he does not blame me for hating him neither does he feel guilt for what he's done my father is an evil man but I don't need a mirror to know these things No, I needed a mirror to tell me about myself. In those strange myriad hours between my mother's death and her eventual burial, I sat and stared into the mirror, my father's indifference soft in the background. My eyes drifted along the sharp jut of my cheekbones, the swallow bags under my eyes, a determined twitch in my eyes. I asked the mirror if I was strong enough. The mirror said yes. One week after the burial, I went back home, to my new home, in the city, away from my small family that had grown smaller by one person. I took the vanity with me. Week after that, my father died. Nothing strange about that, really. He'd been an alcoholic for the better part of twenty years. It just got to his heart. The how and the why were both inside the bottle. Except, you and I, we know that's not true, don't we? The why was in my mother's open skull. The how was in the poison I added to his whiskey. I'm surprised that it took him so long to get into that particular bottle, but I'm not displeased. The anticipation was sweet. I expected to be caught. I would be the obvious suspect, wouldn't I? I was ready to leave my mirror behind when the law came for me. But they didn't. That night, after telling the police to do whatever they liked with his body, I stared into the mirror again. And in it, I saw my future. With a little care and some tech skills, I was able to build a successful business through the internet. With what all we know about the deepest pits of the web, it shouldn't be surprising to you that I was able to operate mostly undetected. I'm sure I pinged on a few radars, but apparently not important enough to warrant further investigation. My website was simple, just a black page with a survey. There were only two fields. One was for an email address. The other was labeled as a password. In actuality, it was for entering a passcode. If you had the correct code, then your email address would be sent to mine and I could contact you at my leisure. How could people get the code? Whispers in the dark corner of the web. The places people don't like to look unless they need something very, very badly. I was one of those things that people needed. Badly. The code changed every day, of course, and I covered my tracks well. I didn't take every case that came to me. In fact, I took very few. Just as they needed something, I did as well. They needed an extermination. The removal of a problem of a particularly cancerous nature. I needed evil. They would send me the target and any information they had on them. They didn't get to dictate how their job was done or when. I know many of them would have liked their targets to suffer. I was not interested in suffering. I was only interested in the extermination. I would conduct research into them and decide if they fit the bill, if they were a true manifestation of evil. People did not come to me lightly. It was well known that I had a special policy. That is, I would conduct research into the person making the request as well as the target, and I would exterminate evil as I saw fit. I do not pretend that what I did was right. I was not interested in being right. I was interested in surgery, which our society desperately needs. The simple fact of the matter is that some people deserve to be removed. I just became the scalpel. There are many different kinds of evil. The one that I sought to destroy was human evil. It's an evil that's prideful, lustful, wrathful, and a million other pieces of shattered glass that human nature is prone to. It's self-centered. There is no empathy, but there is joy, a great delight in what is done. This is the evil that killed my mother. Every kill was the same. Guns, to me, were not possible because they could be traced, because they created a dreadful mess Because they were sacred. My mother, after all, had killed herself with one. Poison was too slow, too obvious. There would be no way to get rid of the body. Besides, poison depends on trust, and that is something I'm incapable of on either side of the equation. I settled on piano wire. It's thin and sharp, a nice edge in a neat coil. It suffocates and it cuts. There is blood, but there's no gore. There's pain, but it's fragile and transient. It's not an easy death, but it is one that comes easy. It was sufficient. My house, if you could get past the police tape to look at it now, is a mess of piano wire. It's beautiful in its own way. Nine deaths. Two middle-aged young Caucasian males, one young adult, female Caucasian, two children, one Hispanic, and one indigenous person. Three elderly women of Asian descent, one elderly man, African American. Race, age, gender made little difference in surgery. Two child rapists, three budding serial killers with an abundance of tortured animals to their name, two child beaters. Two that committed hate crimes of a particularly grisly nature. Evil exterminated. As I completed my work, I took care not to ask the mirror any more questions. On my mother's vanity, it sat, waiting for me to return to its wisdom. For the moment, there was no need. Ten deaths. One mistake. She was beautiful, with gold-spun hair and a snort at the end of her laugh, she had long-chipped fingernails and milky-green eyes. A child molested her, and her eight-year-old brother was her victim. But this time, my research was not impeccable. There were oversights. I didn't see the seams in the fabrication, the undercurrents of hate and lies. Once I'd completed my work, the man who had requested my help disappeared. That was when I understood my mistake. That night, I returned to my mother's mirror. I sat in front of it, brushing the blood out of my hair with a long tooth comb. I waited patiently for my answers. What do you think I saw? There is human evil, this much is easy enough to see, but it's not the only manifestation of evil in the world. There's another sort, of a darker nature. It lacks the self-awareness of human evil, the need to fulfill one's own desires and bolster one's pride. There's no remorse in this evil, but neither is there joy. There simply is a darkness that takes indiscriminately. I sought to exterminate human evil. In order to do so, I had to become something more. This darker evil. This is what I became. I thought I was just, but I was not. I thought I was society's tool, but I was not. I merely sacrificed my humanity to become this darkness. It was written on my face as I gazed into that mirror one last time. There was nothing human about my visage. There was no love, compassion, hate, fear, desperation. There was only that deep and abiding force to which I'd given myself. So I began writing of this confession. So I turned myself in. I expect I'll die for my crimes. Perhaps this is true justice. I am, after all, another form of evil. Though this evil is more pure, more clean than what I had destroyed. It is evil, nonetheless. My case is a mystery to investigators. There's no typical victim, but there is a typical method to their deaths. There's no passion, no fetish. I kept no trophies. There's nothing smug about my confession. Everything was too simple. Evils like that, didn't you know? Simple. I've seen many psychologists. They want me to be crazy, I suppose, but the definitions of sanity and insanity don't apply to something like me. So let me leave you as I arrived with this message. No. I don't regret what I did, what I became. I was something preordained, I think, in the way the stars shed life into the earth, in the way the old devour the young, in the way innocent blood feeds humanity. So I can have no regrets, do you see? I hope I can find a way to post this, to tell the world this story, it'll change nothing. It will impact no one, but it will become an inextricable part of reality. This is what reality deserves. Last year I moved into my dream house with my fiance. We'd been planning this move for years, and after a lot of saving, in addition to landing our dream jobs in the same city, we were excited to take the next step and put a down payment on a house. When we first toured the place, it was everything we'd ever wanted. It was spacious, had all the modern amenities, had a pool, and it contained a large basement I could convert into an amazing game room on top of being within our price range. The only real concern I had was how many other buyers were looking at the home. We were told that there were a few other couples who were considering purchasing the place in a short conference with my fiance, I told the real estate agent that she might as well tell them that the home wasn't for auction because we were taking it. As soon as we got some people in there to make sure that everything was up to code, we said that we would gladly buy the house. Soon after, we had an inspection done, and I talked to one of the guys about their findings. Just as I had hoped, everything was up to snuff. The only thing of note was that on the first floor, there seemed to be a small door towards the back of the house that appeared to be sealed up and painted over. He theorized that it could have just been an extra guest room that the previous owner thought looked out of place or attracted pests, so they must have decided to seal it away. At first, I was surprised that I hadn't noticed the extra room, and I had a fleeting thought of why the real estate agent hadn't told us about it. I came to the conclusion that maybe she would simply forgotten about the room, and when I asked if I wanted them to open the room and inspect it, I declined. I figured that it was harmless, and if anything, having an extra room was a good thing. If there were pests inside, I could easily deal with them after the fact, but having to go through another inspection wasn't worth the time or the money if they found something. I was sure that whatever they would have found wasn't something a few bug bombs couldn't fix, if it really did become a problem. Later, we completed all the necessary paperwork, and after a month, we had completely moved in. Things were fantastic for the first few months. Honestly, living here together was everything we'd ever dreamed of. However, not long after we moved in, we started to notice a very distinct smell coming from somewhere in the house. Not being able to pinpoint where it was coming from, we did a complete scrub down of our home and bought air fresheners for every room. This worked for the most part. There were still moments where we would catch whiffs of whatever the hell it was, but mostly covered it up. However, as time grew on, we began to hear soft banging and what sounded like whimpering. I remember more than a few nights where I couldn't sleep, and hearing those sounds prompted me to search my house with my trusty aluminum bat and find nothing. As the weeks passed, these strange occurrences only seemed to intensify to the point where we were losing sleep because of them. Less sleep caused us to get grumpy and agitated more often, spurring on arguments more and more frequently. I'd snap at my fiancé about leaving food out because of the smell, and she'd yell at me about getting security cameras because of the noises. I couldn't take it. I loved my fiancé, and there was no way in hell our dream house was what was going to tear us apart. One weekend, I decided to search every square inch of that house for whatever it was that was responsible for those strange occurrences. Motivated by the return of my peaceful life, I looked at every possible place that something could be out of order, tearing it up and then fixing it again better than I had left it. If I'm being honest, it was probably the most thorough I've been with anything in my life. Unfortunately, after finding nothing, I was at my wit's end. Where the hell could this be coming from? Then it hit me. The sealed up room must be the origin. I stomped outside of the garage to retrieve my tools and then angrily approached the sealed up door, ready to tear it open and expose whatever it was that was causing us so much stress. I easily broke into the sealant, revealing a small door that looked as though it couldn't be hiding anything too conspicuous. Ready to rid this nuisance from my life for good, I flicked the small latch that had taken the place of a doorknob and bursted my way through the room. Immediately... The smell of death hit me. This was definitely the place. I grabbed my flashlight and shined it at the ground. To my horror, I saw what looked to be dozens of dead rodents, many of them with their limbs bitten off. Some didn't even seem to be consumed, so much as their bodies were mangled and eviscerated. I gasped at all the death. My first thought was there had to be some large animal in here that was doing this. I took a step forward into the darkness, plugging my nose as I went. I shined my light to the back of the room, and I immediately jumped back to the safety of the door. Sitting in the fetal position was a meek-looking man. He was completely hairless, save for a few long strands of hair protruding from his head. He had a severe underbite, and his jaw appeared to be broken. His skin was extremely pale, with warts, bumps, and bruises covering his entire body. He looked to be malnourished, with almost no muscle or fat. I wanted to ask what had happened and why he was in our house, but as I began to work up the courage, he began to shriek like no human I've ever heard before. His voice was more akin to a siren than that of a normal man's scream. I wondered how he'd had the energy to do such a thing given his state. His mouth appeared to unhinge and it flopped out a ridiculously long tongue as his grayish eyes rolled to the back of his head. Immediately, I rushed out of the room and locked the door behind me. My fiancé came running down the stairs asking me what the hell was going on, but all I could do was to tell her to call the police. They arrived shortly after, and after rushing them into the room, they swiftly made their way in with guns and flashlights at the ready. I could hear the very audible noises of disgust when they saw all the dead rodents, and from what I remember, one of the officers nearly threw up from the stench. But the most concerning aspect of their visit was that they saw no man. All they found were the rodents feces and some other unidentifiable stains, but outside of a disgusting guest room, everything seemed to be normal. The officer that had almost lost his lunch suggested that an animal had gotten in and had been living there without our knowledge, and that the shock and fear of me seeing all this carnage must have made me see something that wasn't there. I pleaded my case, saying that this wasn't a figure of my imagination and that they had to do something about the man, but from what they had to go on, there was no arrest to be made. They gave us the number for a local cleaning service before promptly getting into their car and driving away, leaving my fiancé and I to deal with whatever it was by ourselves. She sat me down and asked me if I thought what I'd seen was real. I assured her in that moment, in the most serious tone I could muster, that what I saw wasn't a figment of my imagination, and that it was the thing to make that sound. I also told her that even though it was humanoid in figure, I knew that it was different, and that we had to get rid of it as soon as possible. She simply nodded and asked what the plan was. I thought for a second before going up to our room and grabbing the bat. Feeling as though I could scare it away, I decided to give our encounter another try. I went back to the room carrying my bat with a much more fiery attitude, but before I even got the chance to put on my badass act, it screamed again so loud that I dropped the bat and was forced to retreat, ensuring to lock the door behind me. I stumbled out of that room in a daze. My fiancé ran over to me. Her eyes began to water as she saw blood dripping from my ears. She rushed me to the hospital, and it was discovered that I had a burst eardrum. Though I was supposed to be on bed rest for the next eight weeks, I wanted this thing out. I tried various tactics to kill it or get it out. I'd throw in bug bombs, put laced food out for it to eat, tried using a smoker, etc. But nothing works. For the next month or so, our house became a prison. As I began to heal, we used every opportunity we could get to get out of the house or stay somewhere else. Even though it had never even tried to leave the room, it just didn't feel safe to be in the same general vicinity as it. Hell, even our sex life suffered. Neither of us felt comfortable doing anything in the same house that that thing existed in. For all we knew, it was lurking somewhere in the darkness, watching our every move. Some nights, we'd hear it wailing. There were more than a few occasions where we'd get angry knocks on the door from our neighbors, telling us to shut up. All we could do was apologize and make up some fake story of anguish. Eventually, we tried to get other people to see it too. Maybe someone else would know what it was or would have an idea of what to do. We'd call in cleaning services, inspectors, hell, even invited friends over and tried to get them to explore the guest room. (sighs) Nothing worked. It always seemed to disappear in their presence no matter how long they stayed. As I made a full recovery physically, my sanity worsened. I was sick of living in fear. I was sick of the smell, sick of the noise. I was sick of feeling like a prisoner in my own home. So I did the only thing that I deemed logical. I bought a gun. This was my solution. If I couldn't get it out of my house, and I couldn't make it sick or kill it in any other way, I'd put a fucking bullet in its head. I made a plan with my fiance to kill it the day I received my weapon. I strapped a light to my forehead and held my gun out at the ready as she slowly opened the door for me. I met the creature's eyes. As soon as the light entered its realm, its gaze shifted up at me. I think this was the first time I really got a deep look into its emotion. It's strange. I would have thought that the look it gave me would have been one of fear... Or confusion, like an animal gives a person right before their car is about to collide within the street. But no. This look was different. This look was cold. It was almost like it was telling me that this was its territory and that any intruder would be moved by force. Despite the fact that I had a gun, I was the one who was afraid. I was the confused animal, trying to understand the force coming at me. I remember unloading the entire clip into the thing. To my joy, it didn't even attempt at making that awful scream as I kept firing, letting all my anger from the past months leave my body with the bullets. As soon as it was out, I remember I stood there taking in the deepest breaths I'd ever taken. It was dead, I thought. A large smile formed on my face, and just as I was about to spin around and give my wife the biggest congratulatory kiss, I heard it start coughing. It heaved, and to my utter horror, I could see the bullets start to leave its body. They started to drop out, almost like sweat, leaving behind a disgusting yellow pus that coalesced against the wound. My eyes grew large, and I immediately spun around, dropping the gun, and closed the door behind me. Realizing my mistake, I told my fiancé to run while I went back to grab my weapon. I quickly opened the door to retrieve my gun, and right in the face was the creature, now standing on long, thin legs. I screamed and grabbed for the gun, ducking out of the way just as it reached out to grab me. I locked the door behind me once more and fell to the ground once I was safe. I fell to my knees, and I… I cried. The emotion came rushing out of me. I sat there for a pretty solid amount of time, bawling my eyes out. In my mind, there was only one thing to do. The next day my wife and I bought up all the materials we could and we sealed that room back up. Then we called our real estate agent and told her we'd like to sell the house. I know some of you are going to scream at me for that. Why didn't you burn the place down? Why didn't you fill that room with concrete? Why didn't you tear down the property and build from scratch? Simply put, I don't want that thing to get out. If it's content to hang out in that room for all eternity and bite the heads off rats, that's perfectly fine with me. Honestly, it's a much more comforting thought than it being walking the streets of God knows where terrorizing God knows how many people. I can't imagine the horrors it could unleash if let loose. Obviously, we can't tell the next buyers about the creature. Otherwise, we'd never sell the place, but what they don't know won't hurt them. We tried sound and smell-proofing the area as best we could so that it takes longer for someone to notice, but for the time being, I think we're fine. We've already picked out a new place to live in a new city, so we'll be far gone from this place soon. Honestly, there isn't much to say about this. I'm obviously never coming back here. I think my only piece of advice is that if any of you are looking to buy a home, make sure that you check every room thoroughly. Even the ones that seem to be hiding something dark. What's lurking in that darkness might make you rethink your purchase entirely.